This is Farmer D bringing you Season 2 of the Citizen Farmers Podcast, where we are reimagining community through interviews with citizen farmers throughout the country. This season, our goal is to inspire, teach, and connect you to the projects, people, and places that are changing the way we live through regenerative agriculture, conservation, and community development. Are you ready to build a healthier, more connected world? Let's get started. All right. This is Farmer D here with Chef Tyler Brown with uh, Season 2, the Citizen Farmers Podcast. Super excited to have Chef Tyler Brown on today. How are you doing, Tyler? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. It's been really fun getting to know you over the last, I guess, like eight months or so, working with South Hall Farms, helping you guys out with some hiring and culture and farm planning and finally getting some boots on the ground out there just a few weeks ago to see the project. Super inspired by what you guys got going on on there. Maybe just start off, tell us a little bit about South Hall Farms, kind of what, what's going on out there, kind of what your role is, kind of what's what's the big vision out there in, uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, you guys are stirring up. Yeah, so so uh, out here we um, we have 325 acre property that we've put together uh, in seven different parcels over the last five years, and and the real concept for us is creating a uh, an experience around a farm. So with that, we'll have support hospitality function with an inn, 62 room inn, a spa, and an event center where we can do larger group parties. Then we also have an orchard with about 1,300 trees currently, and we are going to add another 700 apple trees in the coming years. We have a large kitchen garden area where our guests will be able to experience the gardens and interact with our staff and, and the uh, crops. It's about an acre and a half. And the muse for those is sort of uh, Thomas Jefferson's kitchen garden at Monticello. At the end of the day, the property will be about 95% green space, so really focusing on the outdoors function and getting people out and, and experiencing. We have about four and a half miles of walking trails, large format gardens where we can do a ton of seed saving and growing of uh, grains and, and other products and just, you know, opportunity to to highlight old ways of agriculture and new ways and that intersection or where they come together. And, and to me, that's really the evolution of uh, the agriculture world is, is um, you know, looking to the past to find a way to move to, to the future. Um, we'll also have about 14,000 square feet of greenhouses um, in separate three separate zones. One is uh, hydroponics, um, and we do leafy greens. We have a partner with that, Greener Roots Farm, and we produce about 600 to 800 pounds of leafy greens a week and sell to local grocery stores, restaurants. And we have an orangery that has 16 different varieties of citrus in ground that will be um, like a conservatory. And then a, another propagation greenhouse where we do some hydroponic tomatoes and propagation for our field crops. It's an epic, truly epic mix of agriculture. And, you know, it's so cool to see the different types of farming that you guys have going on there and how it integrates with the guest experience, with the hotel, with the event venue, the spa, the restaurant, the market, the jammery. It's, you know, I, I see a lot of projects. And I, I got to say, this one is one of the more inspiring projects I've seen in a while. What what was the inspiration behind South Hall Farms? Yeah, so the inspiration is, you know, from a, a number of folks. One, our founder, Paul Mishkin, from Chicago and was living in Florida for a while and kind of wanted to find a place in between Florida and Chicago to have another site. 
uh, home site and, and chose Nashville, just sort of in between those two areas. And my background was at the Hermitage Hotel here in Nashville for 13 years. I had the opportunity to start a, an old heirloom garden on a Revolutionary War land track about four miles outside of Nashville. And then I started getting into raising cattle and we bought a 250-acre piece of property about 45 minutes west of Nashville, started raising uh, red pole cattle and started producing all of our own meats at the hotel and selling to other local restaurants and stuff. And the tough part about that was that the garden, the farm, and the restaurant were all in three different places. And so for me, the opportunity to find a place where we could do everything in one site and have an experience around that was really the exciting element of, of this piece of property. And the inspiration is just, I think that there's so many things that food can do and build bridges around one in four children are hungry throughout the world. That's way too many for me. But there's a way to influence and, and make change there. There's ways to educate with humility and uh, give people just opportunity to let their guard down and experience nature and agriculture in one place. It's beautiful, man. And it makes sense. I know running different projects and driving between things and trying to get people out to experience, you know, that was a big inspiration for me. You know, I think I've told you in the past, I sold my farm in Southwest Wisconsin with the vision of like bringing the farm to the people because, you know, that's the, some of the most important moments, transformational moments and impact is when people really get to experience the farm when you have it all integrated the way you guys are doing there, it truly is kind of creates these opportunities to engage in a much deeper way with the land and, and food. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about like kind of where did your journey with food start and kind of what got you down this this road to, to find yourself in this amazing place at South Hall? Yeah, so back in probably 2008 or so, I, I had the opportunity to uh, travel out to California and dine at a restaurant called Manresa. After eating there and hanging out with him after service, he was like, hey, you want to come out to my farm tomorrow? And we're like, yeah, sure. So he took us to a place in Santa Cruz called Love Apple Farms and happened to be a biodynamic farm. And it was just uh, the whole experience was life changing. But that moment at Love Apple and I had no idea what biodynamics really was at the time at all. It was my, again, my first introduction to. But uh, came back from that trip in California, just inspired to learn more. And I reached out to the Justine Porter Institute and tried to soak up as much information from them as I could. And, and in our conversations was asking about resources. And they're like, well, you know, you have one of the foremost biodynamic farmers in the country right there in East Tennessee is what they said. And I was like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, his name is Jeff Poppin, the Barefoot Farmer. And we actually have his book here. I was like, well, send me the book. So I got the book and that was a really unbelievable thing because the way that Jeff writes is so in lay, or at least it, I received it in that manner. And it felt so empowering that as I'm reading, I'm like, I can get out here and do this today, you know? And so with that, I created a little raised bed in my backyard and I started, you know, getting the biodynamic preparations in there and building up the soil and mushroom compost, and worm casings and planting tomatoes. And somewhere along the way, I thought I needed to get some bat guano in there. I had no idea. Someone recommended that and I fired a bunch of bat guano in there and had the greenest, most amazing looking tomato plants I've ever seen and produced one tomato each plant that year. But uh, shade was in the way, but, but also the nitrogen level was pretty high. But, um, you know, and so with that, I just had become very curious about where our foods were coming from. I had spent a lot of time working with Share Our Strength, uh, and their initiative is to uh, end childhood hunger, traveling around the country, doing events without raising awareness for. And then 
you know, I really wanted to find a way to grow our own food and see what that other side of the process was. Like, you know, as a chef, I felt confident with what to do with the vegetables when they came in, but I wanted to respect and understand the, the process more so from the back end. And so, as I mentioned before, we started a garden in a partnership with the Land Trust for Tennessee out at Glen Levin and then started working with Jeff Poppin. I brought him out to the site and showed him the area. And uh, I'll never forget the day he we met at the property, uh, Glen Levin, and he jumped out of the car and was like going through the forest, jumped over this fence, I could hardly keep up. And as he's going, he's like, oh, there's a Tennessee lemon. I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop. And he, he was already out of my purview at that moment in the middle of the field, reaching his hand into the soil, grabs it. And before I could get to him, he's back to me and is like, yep, we can do a garden here. I'm like, do we need to assess it more or anything? He's like, nope, nope, this will be perfect. We'll just get some compost out here. And, you know, this was like in March. He's like, we'll be back in May. Nice. And uh, I remember the day before we tilled the garden, we had no tractors or anything on site. And I'm talking to Jeff and he's like, I've got a guy that'll show up with a tractor tomorrow. You just have any cooks that might be off or anyone that you can bring out to help plant the garden and we'll get it all done. And I'm kind of like, well, we haven't even talked about what we're growing or anything. And he's like, I'll bring it all with me. Don't worry. (laughs) So sure enough, the next day, uh, people just started showing up. And lo and behold, by the end of the day, we had a garden planted and uh, there was a ton of variety that Jeff had brought in his trunk. I remember he drove a old BMW down that day. And when he got out, he's like, check out this car. He's like, I've decided to drive this when I come into the city so I can start to influence young farmers to get into farming to show them how much money they could possibly make. <laughs> I thought that was one of the funniest things ever. But uh, yeah, you know, um, so from that, the garden started, you know, and I, I was there, you know, 5 a.m. in the morning till probably 8.30 every morning. I would go into the hotel, shower, work, lunch service, go back out to the garden, harvest some things, come back, work dinner service, and then reset. We did that for about three years, integrating our staff into the to the garden and you know really focusing on heirloom products that were from around the area that had stories behind them. And, and it just took off and got a lot of traction and, and a ton of inspiration and felt like we really had something there. And, and what an opportunity to learn, really. I, I saw it as just an unbelievable opportunity for education and yeah, Jeff Poppet, the Barefoot Farmer, is one of my mentors from, you know, 20 years back when, 25 years ago, when I apprenticed with Hugh Lovell, one of the things he, Hugh sent me to Jeff's farm for one of his conferences. He says, you know what, D, we're going to get you off the farm. I think I'd been on Hugh's farm nonstop for, I don't know, five months. And he said, I'm going to get you off the farm for a week. You're going to stay with Jeff Poppin. And I spent one of the most influential four days at Jeff's farm, learning with him, playing music with him, putting hay up and under the moonlight in the middle of the night with him. And I've stayed close with him for all these years. He's he's really one of the best farmers I've ever met. And he does. He's got such a, a matter of fact kind of way about him. And he makes biodynamics very approachable and very accessible. Even though he's a one of the deeper practitioners I know, he's so lighthearted and and um, just you just kind of do it, you know, you just do it. Yeah. You take this, you mix that and you go do it. And I just think that's that's kind of a breath of fresh air in the movement. Absolutely. I, I remember, you know, we've I've seen in the time that I you know started, you know, get my feet in into it. Our local farming community has grown exponentially here in Nashville. And it's really inspiring to see on the, on the young farmer side through this experience. I had the opportunity to 
be on the board of the Nashville Farmers Market for five years. And that was a really exciting thing, an opportunity to grow uh, my network with the local farming community as well. I, I certainly had one ingrained from a the chef standpoint, but just seeing other facets of producers and understanding the hardships that one has to, to actually bring a product to market. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, with Jeff, I that first season, yeah, I'm looking at the vegetables. And I'm like, well, how do I know when stuff is ready and, and all this? And he's like, well, a wise man once told me that the best fertilizer is a farmer's footsteps. You know, and what he was saying is just just be present, observe, and, and you'll understand. And it felt like I was looking for a d- definitive answer there, but uh, it wasn't there. But there was an answer in that statement. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, I, I get it. Yeah, it's it's probably the most powerful lesson you can learn in, in, in farming is that it really is. It's about being out there and observing and feeling and using your intuition and how to read plants and, and the environment so that you can be a good steward. One of the things I want to dig into a little bit with you as a chef and a farmer, right? And I say as a chef first, uh, you know, we know the farm to table, farm to fork kind of movement, seed to plate, however you want to call it, has, has really grown so much in the last 15, 20 years with slow food and so many you know great chefs bringing the farmers to the limelight and showcasing local food. You know, having been on, on both sides of that, both of us having been on both sides of the farm and the culinary side, you know, I think we know how challenging it is to integrate the two and for a chef to be able to work really closely with a farm. You know, I see so often in these farm to table projects that the the farm oftentimes and the restaurant have a hard time kind of working together and really getting in a rhythm where the food from the farm is really driving the culinary experience first filling in some gaps here and there or just kind of a more of a a story and an expression but to really do you know deep meaningful integration you know how how are you thinking about you know the integration of farm with restaurant culinary uh, there at South Hall well, one, like I've certainly experienced that, what you're just describing at times as well. And, and I really am a believer in, in committing to a partnership, whether it's any purveyor, producer, whoever that is, you know, it's, it's giving one your word and committing to a, a relationship. And with that, communication is paramount and, and realizing that we're both working towards the same goal, establishing those goals and then, you know, working towards it. And so I see here at South Hall, Creating ways to one extend the season. We're, we're creating a jammery here where we'll um, have a certified canning kitchen. We'll be able to offer products to our guests and really, from a chef standpoint, committing to utilizing each product to its fullest extent. So a, a lot of times, I think chefs will use one item per dish. You know, I mean, I know there was a, certainly a time in my career where I wouldn't repeat a vegetable on another dish if it was on one dish. You know, and so. That becomes a pretty small world quickly when you're, when you can't go through a ton of volume. And so it's tough to commit to that relationship with the farmer when one dish is using five pounds of turnips a week. So it's finding ways to meet the needs of each other and, and be flexible to, Hey, I got a ton of this coming in right now. How can we change and being able to print menus on a daily basis and adjust and having a team around you that can buy into these changes? The, Chef's world can be very stressful on a daily basis, inherently just getting to service every day. It's a reset and, you know, we're preparing for the big night or, you know, in, in the, the hotel scenario was a breakfast, lunch, dinner, room service catering out of a 110 year old kitchen. And so there's a lot of worlds colliding there and, and you have to have a lot of flexibility and a lot of 
communication. And so, you know, that's, that's really the thing of, you know, taking an item like collards and taking the stems and fermenting the stems, making collard kimchi, doing, you know, regular collard preparation, but then juicing parts of it and finding different items that you can layer into a guest experience or, or what you're actually doing. Well, collard kimchi. I got to get that recipe. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like really working closely, chef and farmer, hand in hand, thinking about what you can grow. Like you said, you're so busy when you're you're running these restaurants and catering and events. And it's like, it takes time, right? And a commitment to spending time with the farm team each year, planning out, working together to come up with kind of both a crop plan and a menu. And, you know, projecting volumes and timing and obviously being really forgiving because, you know, it's different when you just look at an order form off a truck versus, you know, a field that has gophers and pests and, you know, you're not always going to have what you need when you need it. So you can have to be a little creative, right, and and adapt. And to me, the thing about that, just to close it, is just that that's kind of what's so interesting and becomes really the experience for the guest is to start to actually learn that that's, that's what's so dynamic. You know, we can talk through the menu through the lens of what's happening on the farm and give them a real sense of farming, not just a, this was local from this fancy farm down the road, but this is actually like, these are the challenges that come with trying to grow food, you know, locally and, and, and integrated into a, a menu and have people go out and experience that and understand the challenges and, and the hard work. Yeah. I think a big part of this is also setting the table for the culture of place when both the chefs and the wait staff and the guests and the farmers are all kind of sharing in that experience and that journey together is where the authenticity and the true connectivity to the farm experience, the relationship to the land and, and what comes with that really can come through the experience more than just kind of the romance of it, right? Yeah. You know, and so a couple layers here. One, I'll, I'll talk about the guest interaction, you know, from a high level, which the hotel was a five-star, five-dime property in, in the same level that we're trying to create here at South Hall, that is hospitality at the forefront. We're raised to never say no and, and things like this. And so it's, it really relies on the story that we're telling and managing expectations with the guests as they come in, you know? And so someone's like, Oh, I'll have a tomato on that burger. If we're looking at a bar menu or something, and it's like, no, nah, we, we have uh confit tomatoes or something that we put up or roasted tomatoes that, that we stored in oil or something like that. But we don't have a sliced hothouse tomato because it's not available here to some that could be feel like saying no, Reality is, is again, it goes back to how we tell the story and how we interface and present ourselves to the guests and manage the expectation so that we understand and we get the buy-in from recognizing the pursuit that we're after and celebrating the, the local season and items that we can produce. And those are wonderful as well. And when the tomatoes are in season, we'll have those and they will be some of the best tomatoes you've ever had. But you know, then also on the interface with the kitchen is I've had to spend a ton of time with having this huge garden that we're producing all the vegetables that we need from where it's that communication about what our needs are on harvest days, right? So forcing our sous chefs and those that are in charge of ordering to make sure that they're looking out far enough in front of it to be able to get harvested, bring into the kitchen, right? So if it's turnips, again, I keep using as an example, or carrots, one could easily put it on the produce list and have it here tomorrow morning from our produce company. That's what people are used to. And so really 
working to not allow that to happen, you know, to like think about what we need, see it to us and, and that buy-in so that we're not just supplementing with a produce company product. We have it in the garden and with the right planning, we can get it here in our kitchen. Yeah, I mean, I think emphasizing that using the citizen farmers framework a little bit here, you know, the planning of things, the importance of having that vision and thinking way ahead, right? Like, you know, a lot of us live in the the kind of the world of convenience kind of order, you know, everything kind of shows up next day. And there's this kind of sense of um, being able to react and make decisions like that because it's available. But I think what, what we're saying here is there's so much more intentionality yeah. and complexity that comes with that when you start to think about it's definitely not cheaper to grow your own stuff there. And it's definitely not nearly as convenient. It's far riskier. But I think this is speaking to the level of commitment that you have as a chef and that Southall has as a community, as a project to really put the food first and the farmer first, right? And say, we're, we're committed to planning and visioning a place where we can cultivate the land in harmony with our experience, our menu and our offerings, program experiences, food, products, yeah. Right. It's all really rooted in your kind of commitment, your biodynamic commitment to stewardship. Yeah. And that, and that flexibility to say, wow, the blossoms on the chives today uh, weren't great, but we had mustard seed flowers coming up from a crop that was overwintered. And uh, we're going to utilize that for garnish today. Or, you know, that type of example could be taken to many different areas. But that flexibility, that creativity and real opportunity from a chef standpoint, it's like, I think being raised in the chef world, I always wanted the, my moment before I became an executive chef to be creative. Where can I have instill my creative element in this menu and stuff? And um, a lot of times the way that a kitchen works in the brigade and it's, you know, your opportunity for the creative uh, element isn't quite there until you're in the leadership role, unless you have a chef that's very inclusive and, and wanting to create. And I was able to work with a couple of those chefs that were willing to include everyone and give those opportunities to be creative. But the garden really allows that. It, it, it tells you what you're going to serve. I mean, you can try to uh, instill your will and you can guide it with what you're planting and, and recognizing and awareness of the season and things like that. But reality is, is what's coming up and what's the best item is what you're going to serve. Right. That's where you can kind of draw your inspiration and, and creativity out of the garden, which is such a citizen farmer's way of doing things. I'm curious to zoom out a little bit here. What are you most excited about when you start to think about opening the doors to the community? Maybe share with us just a couple of the areas where you're most passionate and most excited about what you're about to kind of bring to the world. What are those things? Yeah. At a, at a high level, I'm most excited about seeing the ecosystem operate, the ecosystem being the people from the farmers to the chefs to the guests, seeing that interaction, people's reactions to what we are doing from the food, from the vegetables, the intent behind creating native grass areas and pollinators and having uh, five different apiaries and we're creating our own queens. I'm most excited about seeing that come together in the people element and seeing people achieve their life goals from a professional standpoint, seeing inspiration, education, and influence. You know, I'm a believer in when you surround yourself with folks that have the passion for, it's not always going to be the same passion as yours and at the same level, but 
surround yourself with folks that are passionate about a cause and a, a direction, you can really influence change. I think a lot of folks get really concerned about a bunch of things that they can't change that's outside of their purview in the world, whether it's politics or whatever it is, and they consume themselves with that, where I, I feel there is real opportunity to make change if we're focusing right in front of us. And that that's what I'm most excited about from a high level. Diving in a little deeper, I, I can't wait to, you know, focus on varieties, old varieties of, of corn, like this Webb Watson corn that uh, Glenn Roberts from Hanson Mills and John Coykendall at Blackberry Farms worked together to find in an old moonshining sect up in North Carolina and producing this and, you know, listening to Glenn Roberts talk about this type of corn and, and it's the closest to a true Native American corn that one will, that they've ever found and that we may ever have the opportunity to see grow. That that type of thing excites me so much and trying to give that information to others that are working with us and hopefully that uh, level of excitement is instilled in them and seeing them carry that excitement over to folks that they're uh, interfacing with. Jumping back to what I was mentioning about Barefoot that first day as he's hopping through the forest, um, he's pointing out this Tennessee lemon or hardy orange, trifoliate orange, and that's the northernmost citrus that traditionally was used as rootstock for citrus orchards. So I thought there's an opportunity to tell that story here and create a, a greenhouse. And, you know, so we have 16 different varieties of citrus there, and there's a way to have mason bees in the greenhouse for pollination and levels of saturation, if you will, for experience. And so it, it's just all the different opportunities that we have. It's putting up, it's extending seasons, it's different ways to interface you know that's what i'm most excited about there's no real one thing it's about the whole experience and i know that it sounds i get so excited when i start talking about it but I, I feel strongly that there's a true way to make an impact yes we're creating a hospitality product here but i think there's much more to it than that and a real opportunity to uh, expose it to the world yeah i can feel the excitement and it's 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 uh it's contagious you know i think one of the things i've been enjoying most working with you you know, looking at these old heirloom varieties and starting to kind of imagine this kitchen garden kind of Monticello inspired and bringing these old stories, you know, preserving and, and telling these old stories that come through the seeds, that come through the food, the culture and the history is so rich. Yeah. And, and the flavors and, and dishes that come out of that not only connect you to, to generations past and stories, but they're freaking good. So much of our food has been commodified for shipping and, and storage and, you know, the flavors and the richness, the actual physical nature of the food is so much more interesting. But when you add that kind of cultural layer and that passion behind it, that meaning, it elevates food to another level. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, and that that's just, you know, what does it for me? And, and each individual is different. And, and hopefully we share some of those ways to be inspired. But I, I love to be inspired by what inspires others, seeing what makes others light bulb go off. And uh, it's really neat to be able to see through someone's lens what that is. Yeah. Well, I want, I want to dig into something you mentioned a little bit earlier about wanting to influence change. What do you want to see changed? Is it the in the culinary world and the agricultural world? What what are the things when you think about making an impact and changing the way things currently are? What do you see there? I mean, what do you, what are you hoping to change? Yeah, there's probably a zillion things, but one I see is how we perceive food and what how we value food. You know, it's uh, I don't know the, the mark of change would be recognizing that 
you can't expect to go pay $4 a pound for a filet, you know, and we can't be eating meat every night because of a value standpoint of that. I mean, there's health reasons, but also the value. And so, especially in the, in the restaurant industry is that we're pushed so hard by the consumer to lower prices or have value at times, then one is compromising what they're putting in front of the guests. And, and I think that what I would love to see is just a, an awareness and a recognition um, that can't be, it can't be forced, but it's something that inherently happens. Folks wanting to act in their communities, that's not necessarily self-serving, but it's the right thing to do. So that's recognizing that what, what one's part in that could be. So it's participation, it's awareness, it's at times money, you know, many times we need that too. I, I think I was frustrated for a long time. I made a commitment to myself many years ago that I wouldn't, because chefs are so often asked to participate from a, and give their time and charity functions, and I love to do that. But I got very frustrated that I wasn't seeing action that we could see. And so I, I made a commitment to not participate in events that didn't directly affect something here in the U.S. So charities that were working outside of the U.S. that wasn't a mission that I was prepared to give my time to. I know I'm getting off track, but it, but it's really, there's just a ton of layers. It's a recognition of what food takes to produce. I, I believe strongly that there's two worlds here. It's the conventional world and then the sort of organic world. And, and there's a lot of great things in both worlds. And, no, and everybody set out to feed the world, right? If we're talking ConAgra, Monsanto, all this stuff. Nobody set out to create, you know, demons in the food world of and wreck the world and, and that stuff it's just one started chasing the product and uh then corporate greed or or the big machine got too big to, to sort of turn around but realizing that there's good on both sides people aren't spending their whole lives to go to school to be scientists to have all this information to, to try to do harm people have good intentions seeing good intentions on each side of the place finding happy medium and respect for each other you know i'm so thankful to be in the hospitality world because I think food is a great, it creates bridges and breaking bread is one of the most natural places where you can really communicate and really interact with someone with their guard down around food. I think what, what I'm hearing you say too, and you know, and I can really relate to this is, you know, food is a bridge. It's a, it's a doorway to help people understand the food system better and their impact on it, and very intentionally creating a unique place where people can both engage in that, learn about all these diverse you know, agricultural elements, and at the same time, have a really uh, incredible culinary experience. You know, you've shared your passion for you know, hungry kids and wanting to, to really be a part of that solution. I, you know, I, I know there's always these interesting juxtapositions Part of it, you know, like when we talk about wanting to feed the world and more technology and efficiency and the and the global food system, but at the same time, you know, wanting to preserve these varieties and create these localized, decentralized farm models. And so in the same sense, it's like we want people to understand the value of food and what it really takes to produce it. And that oftentimes is expensive. We have gotten used to really cheap food, but, uh, you know, the counterbalance to that is then you also have people who just can't afford to eat. And then, you know, are they eating cheap industrial food? And that leads to, we know, all kinds of health problems. And so how do we start to wrestle with some of those issues? I mean, how do you see your work and, and South Hall being a place that can start to 
illuminate some of these things, address them, be a part of the change? Well, you know, I think it's it's about again, it's about focusing where the needs are right in front of you. And so here it would be looking at underserved uh, areas, communities, places that we can make an impact and make change with a small number of individuals, but also a place to influence other entities around us to do similar things and to buy into what we're doing to help support in ways that they can, again, whether it's monetarily or a product or it's a time volunteering and things, it's ways to make an impact that is lasting. You know, we often let folks down and we say, yeah, we need to make change and we're going to, we hear it and we're going to support you. And then that goes away. You know, it's a marketing and PR thing. And that's really something that is important for me not to do and for us to not do. It's about true intent and being in there for the long run. Right. So I don't know the answers to answer your question on what exactly is the change that I want to see. I'm not sure. I don't know that I'll ever know it. I'm in pursuit of doing the next right thing. And that's ways to tell a story, uh, influence and, and make an impact. Yeah. And I think you're right. I mean, working locally is the most impactful thing you can do. I mean, there's hunger in in our communities wherever we are in this country. And, you know, I think one of the things that I could see being really uh, an amazing contribution too is when you talk about, you know, lasting change, I think about teaching people how to grow food and how to cook food. You know, I think a lot of people have been so disconnected from, you know, the collards and the turnips and and using those things fresh, growing them for one, but also, you know, learning how to cook with them because we've become so accustomed to the sugary, salty kind of processed foods in society. And so I think a big part of this is, you know, sharing that inspiration and, and the tools and resources to help people learn how to grow and cook healthy food again, that can be actually, you know, very affordable. I know you have a deep passion for peas, you know, which is a plant-based protein that in the South in particular is pretty easy to grow. And, and they, they like some of the more challenging, you know, hot weather and humid weather that we get here in the South. I could see some really, uh, you know, you sharing your, your passion and your skills with people in the community that can carry those forward and share them with others, but also to start to kind of be empowered to you know, share the seeds too, right? To grow their own food and, and prepare their own food. And, and it's really, it's about culture, right? It's kind of about like inoculating kind of a society with kind of that, that culture from agriculture that leads to healthier lives. Yeah, I think the other thing is like for people to recognize that everybody can't be everything, right? Folks get intimidated with food. Like, oh, I can't cook like you. Oh, I can't have you over to eat and stuff. And I'm like, man, I, I want to just experience what you like. Please don't be scared to cook for me. I'll eat anything. But also it's, the pressure of where you see so many folks getting into gardening or wanting to grow a garden and stuff, I think that also can be intimidating. Like, what if I don't like that? You know, and so there's so many layers to expose one to it and also to to say, hey, it's okay if your passion isn't going out and growing this, but understanding where the access is and what it takes to produce and what impact it can have is really important. And so everybody holds a different piece of the puzzle, right? It's some are the growers, some are the producers, some are the in front and then some are carrying the flag for what is happening you know and, and i think that finding a place for all of that to to work symbiotically is the pursuit ultimately yeah allowing people to come to it on their own volition right and, and say hey however you'd like to experience this is okay and we can go from at alcohol we could dive very deep into varieties of things and stuff that we're growing um, and that education opportunity is there but it's also if you just want to be around it and feel the energy of the garden and just 
admire the beauty. That's okay too. Yeah, it's it's something special that you have there where there's there's a lot of different layers and, and um, ways for people to engage. You're bringing them through a, a journey that they can just kind of see from the road. Their curiosity could pull them in. They could grab a little thing at the jammery, maybe walk the garden, maybe learn about some new crazy crop, and then just continue down this deep and, and rich uh, rabbit hole into biodynamics and into, you know, some of these amazing things that you're creating there at South Hall uh, to demonstrate and share. It's really exciting. And, you know, it's about the talent, right? It's about bringing in the people who can, who can share the vision and inspire people. And it's about building this team and this culture and this community. So I'm, I'm just really honored to have been able to get to know you, Tyler. I appreciate you taking the time. You cooked an amazing meal for my family and your home and really welcomed me into this project, to this community. And I'm excited to continue this journey with you, you know, exploring the vision and building the team and bringing this farm to life and and this whole experience. I think it's going to be one of the more unique, innovative projects of its kind in the country and in the world. I appreciate the kind words. Oh, yeah. Um, how, how do people find out about South Hall and kind of what's your timeline? And Yeah, yeah so uh, com is our website. We'll have a uh, – we've created an almanac on the on the site where people can go and take deeper dives into kind of our pursuits. So kitchen gardens, the key lime plowing, and the, the way to capture water on the property and conserve it and, and a bunch of different things that shows the intent behind what we're doing. Cool. And then uh, – South Hall TN on Instagram. Nice. Yeah. And so we're hoping to open uh, Q2 of 2022 is, is really what we're shooting for. You know how construction goes. It, it, I have never seen a project land or open on the day that we truly intended, but we're shooting for it. And, uh, and, and we're on that trajectory right now. So awesome. Feeling really inspired and excited. Thanks for having me too. Yeah, man. Thanks for the beautiful work you do. And, um, so again, it's a blessing to get to collaborate and I uh, appreciate you sharing some time with us here on season two of the Citizen Farmers podcast. Till next time, have a beautiful day. Thanks, Steve. Join the Citizen Farmers community. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. For more information, check out today's show notes. This podcast is co-produced by Ben Bernstein. Our audio editor is Sarah Milligan. Thanks for listening to season two of the Citizen Farmers podcast where we are reimagining community to create a healthier, more connected world. Do you care about the health of people and the planet? Connect with the Citizen Farmers Movement to grow healthy food, build your community, and give back to the earth through actions big or small. Follow us on Instagram or sign up for our newsletter at citizenfarmers.org. To learn more about our work at FarmerD, designing and building vibrant farm-based communities, visit us at farmerd.com. Thanks for listening.